Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Saul, the question to start out today is, do you have a bucket list? Uh... And that is, there's a movie by, that stars Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman, if you remember, and those guys realized that they had either a fatal or a, 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 a terminal diagnosis, and they, went, they had things they wanted to accomplish in life. <clears throat> and a, the, the definition of a bucket list is a list of experiences or achievements that a person hopes to have or accomplish during their lifetime. Now, it comes from the phrase, kicking the bucket, which is a nice euphemism for dying. Um, so, what is left on your bucket list? If you were to ask uh, around the table today or in your, with your family, ask that question. I did that uh, with my grandkids last night. And uh, uh, my 16-year-old granddaughter says her bucket list is to see the Northern Lights. And I thought, well, that's pretty, that's very interesting. She wants to go to Iceland to see the Northern Lights. So then I asked my 13-year-old grandson, what is on your bucket list? He says, I don't know. I don't care. I don't think about those things. Now, interestingly enough, ask a 13-year-old about death and dying, and it's the farthest thing from their mind. They're more worried about things that 13-year-olds are usually worried about. So the question for all of us and to discuss is, what is on your bucket list? Um, I had a friend years ago, his bucket his bucket list was he wanted to be a member of a country club. Um, and like, once he's done that, he's arrived. Um, to be a little uh, uh, gender specific here, oftentimes with ladies, it's, there's a tourist def- destination they want to go to. They want to go to Paris, or they want to go to London, or they want to go to Rome, or someplace like that. But you can guess what it is for guys. It's a car. They want, the new, they want the car that they had back, way back when, like their first car. Um, and, or they want that sports car that they never could afford, and now they want to have it. Some people have said 1965 red Mustang that they've always wanted to have, and now that they've got one, their life is complete. Their bucket list is just checked off. <clears throat> so, the bucket list is kind of a euphemism way, but really is... Are you ready to die? So today it's kind of a morbid subject. Um, maybe that's why I'm speaking it because I'm a little closer to death than other people on the preaching team. Uh, so it's kind of a morbid thought, especially at this time of year. We're supposed to be talking about New Year's resolutions and the new year and looking to the future and everything else. So it's kind of unusual to talk about death, but it's relevant to our study this morning. So today we're going to look at an often overlooked part of the Christmas story. So the Christmas story continues. Christmas is over, it's a week ago, but it continues today in part B of the Christmas story. Christmas is when God sent his son in the form of baby Jesus to live and to die and rise from the dead so that we can be saved. And Christmas begins that journey, the clock starts ticking, that journey to the cross and to the open tomb on Easter Sunday morning. So today we're going to be talking about the story of Simeon. Simeon is an old man in the temple. And it's interesting that it's preached by an old man today. 
but Simeon was a man with a bucket list. He had a kind of a divinely inspired bucket list that he wanted to accomplish before he died. So the traditional Christmas story, as we know, is found in Luke 2, and we've read that several times during the past several weeks. Perhaps you've read it as a family or as an individual. If you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas, you can hear Linus tell the Christmas story. Um, and, and one of the problems is once we finish the Christmas story and Christmas is over, we start to move into the next phase. We, we kind of forget Christmas. It goes in the rearview mirror. We take our decorations down, and we dive into the new year. But as you remember the Christmas story, it's Mary and Joseph travel to Bethlehem because there was a census. And they end up in a stable. Mary's very, very pregnant. They end up in a stable because there was no room for them to stay anywhere else. So there they are amongst the cattle, and Jesus is born in a feeding trough, a manger. And right after this baby is born, and there's not a lot of hoopla, suddenly angels appear. And they announce to the shepherds, the lowly shepherds, about the birth of Jesus. And the shepherds come and visit the Christ child in the stable, in the manger. And then they, the shepherds left, and they went out and told lots of people. So when we read the Christmas story, the very last verse that we cover when we read the Christmas story is this. This is Luke in, in Luke 2, verse 20. It says, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And we read the Christmas story, that's the last verse. But what we don't know is the very next verse continues the Christmas story. And it's something that we, we don't often notice, but in Luke 2.21, the very next verse, here's what we read. It says, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So... Jesus is born, and eight days later, he is taken to be circumcised because that was the custom amongst Jewish people at the time. So circumcision took place on the eighth day. That's in accordance with Genesis chapter 17, the requirement. And Mary and Joseph were very diligent in obeying the requirements of the law. So after circumcision, Jesus is now eight days old. We next read in Luke 2, still, chapter, verse 22. He says this, when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two pigeons. So this is after the circumcision, 33 days later, they have the, pre the presentation in the temple called the purification. And every firstborn male had to be brought at, into the temple and had, with an offering, either a lamb or a pigeon or doves. And the idea was that if you couldn't afford a lamb, that the poor people could bring a pigeon or some doves. And that's what Mary and Joseph did. Interestingly enough, if you step back at that time, they couldn't afford the lamb for the offering, but they held in their arms what, was, what we know to be the lamb of God, the real offering. So it screams uh, meaning at that time. Anyway, so Mary and Joseph do what they're supposed to do as an as obedient Jewish couple, and they bring their newborn baby 
uh, let's be 41 days after he's born, they bring him to the temple for this presentation, for the purification rites. Now we meet Simeon, the fellow we're talking about today. And here's what it says. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now listen to this. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. So here's Simeon. What do we know about Simeon? Not a whole lot except what I just read. Presumably he's elderly. He had received some type of special revelation from God. I don't know how that went down. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe the angel Gabriel made an appearance to him. Maybe it was uh, a nudging of the Spirit in some way. But he had a divine message from the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. So, we can assume he went to the temple every day. I don't know how over what period of time, but says he was righteous and devout, so he was at the temple all the time. says he was waiting for the, what's called in our passage the consolation of Israel. Now, that's kind of a peculiar term, but here's what that means. The consolation is like the word console. You know, if someone is distressed, you console them, you comfort them. And that really comes from the Old Testament. And in our study over the past several weeks, we've been talking about the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament Well, here it is. Isaiah 51.3 says this, The Lord will surely comfort or console Zion and will look with compassion on her ruins. He will make her desert like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. So the consolation of Israel is the comforting of Israel after waiting 400 and some years and hearing nothing from God. Then Isaiah 40 starts out this way. It says, Comfort, comfort, or console. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So the consolation of Israel is the comforting of Israel. Now, this last passage from Isaiah, by the way, is part of Handel's Messiah, traditionally sung at the Christmas time, one of the songs that sang is the comfort, comfort ye my people. So we know that Simeon was waiting for this consolation, basically waiting for the Messiah to come and deliver, waiting to see the Messiah. And he was told somehow that he would not die until he met the Messiah. Now, you can imagine he goes to the temple every day, and every time a young couple comes up with a baby to present their baby, which would probably be about every day, maybe oftentimes a day, Um, he would think, is this the one? And you can imagine he's there day after day, and it's not the one, it's not the one. And he became an object of derision. People would be uh, making fun of him, joking about him. Who's this eccentric old man who kind of creeps around the temple looking at young parents coming in with a baby? And he became a fixture at the temple and folklore about him. And if people would come to... Jerusalem during this time, they would say, who's that old man over there, and what's that about? And they say, well, that's Simeon. He's, he says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and, you know, he's a little bit off his rocker. Um, 
So they laughed at him. And then when, they, when if anybody dared ask him, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm waiting here because God told me I wouldn't die until I saw the Messiah. Then they really thought he was off his rocker um, because none of them had any idea what was going on. And Simeon, as we see, had a real idea that something was going on big. So he hung around the temple, and every time a baby would come, is this the one? Is this the one? No, 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 back and forth. So now we read in our story, verse 27, just, just an ordinary day in the temple, this mysterious old man hanging around at the entrance of the temple and every, looking for young couples, bringing their baby for the purification. No one was looking for the Messiah. No one was looking for a baby to be the Messiah, to be the Savior of the world, except one man. That's Simeon. And it's noteworthy, or there was nothing noteworthy about the young couple, Mary and Joseph, doing what good Jewish couples do with a young baby, 40-day-year-old baby, and they would bring him, like, because they're supposed to, bring him to the temple for purification. No big deal, just following what, what every young Jewish couple with a young baby had to do. So to outsiders... This is just another family showing up at the temple to do their duty. But this day's different. Finally, the whisper of God somehow comes to Simeon, sitting there at the gates of the temple, and they say, that's the one. This is the day. That's the Messiah. So we read in verse 27, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praise God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you have now, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So Mary and Joseph bring this baby in for a routine event. Suddenly, and this elderly man takes the child in his arms, and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, begins to sing, because this really is a song, what he sings here. Um, if you grew up in the traditional church, mainline churches, this was a common song. Uh, it's called the Nunc Dimittis, and it's a song of Simeon, and it was sung in the early stages of the church, early centuries of the church, regularly at all their services. It's a Christmas song. It's a Christmas song. We don't sing it like it's a Christmas song, but it is. It doesn't get the airtime that Burl Ives' Holly Jolly Christmas gets or Feliz Navidad. I mean, have you, how many times have you heard that this season? Or it doesn't get Nat King Cole or whatever Mariah Carey sang. I mean, they don't get that. So the, this, the song of Simeon is a Christmas song. And I remember as a kid... In the church I grew up in, we would sing this. The whole congregation would sing this song. And it starts out with, dismiss your servant in peace. And I thought, that meant it's time to go home. <laughs> um, so let's look at this song. He says, dismiss your servant in peace or depart in peace. Now, what Simeon is not saying is, okay, I've seen the Christ child. I'm going home. I'm going back to my regular life. He doesn't say that. What he says is, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die. So this is a sermon about a man who, having met Jesus, 
is ready to die. He says, I've seen it. Now let me go home, meaning let me die. His bucket list is checked off. He knew his bucket list was, I'm going to see the Messiah before I die. Check. And now that I've held this baby in my arms, my life can come to an end. So that's the ultimate lesson for us. Do we have that same type of assurance knowing that when your time comes, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's in 10 years or 50 years, that you can face death with the same assurance that Simeon had that he had met Jesus and all was well. Simeon knew he could now face death, something every one of us will face one day because he met the one who would conquer death. Now, in this song that he sings, he identifies Jesus as the salvation. Now, very perceptive through the Holy Spirit that this man saw this baby as a salvation of the world. Who else at this time would have said that about Jesus? Mary and Joseph, probably. Uh, Probably the shepherds. But I'm not sure who else. But it echoes the angel's message to the shepherds when they said, as we all know, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Salvation, Savior. So Simeon identifies Jesus as the salvation. He will bring salvation. Very enlightened. He also identifies Jesus as a light for revelation. He's a light to reveal God to the people. He reveals God to, the, to his people. Jesus is as the light of the world. Many times in the Gospels, it refers to Jesus as the light of the world. John 1 says this, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So it goes without saying that we live in a very dark time in history. Some of us in our personal lives some of us, as you look at, read the paper, worldwide, nationally, very, a world full of violence, hateful rhetoric is at an all-time high, conflict, suffering. And what we need is this light of revelation, to bring light into darkness and expose the darkness to get rid of the darkness. And Jesus is identified as that light. Now, Simeon also goes on and says, the offer of light and salvation is for all people. He says Jews and Gentiles, which is everybody else. So it's for all peoples. Now, this is very enlightened as well because if you remember in first century Christianity, there was some controversy as to whether the Gentiles were included in the promise. Did Jesus come for the Jews only or the Jews and the Gentiles? And people like Peter and the early disciples had real issues with dealing with the Gentiles. But... And why didn't they understand better? Because Simeon says right here, Jesus came for all people, Jews and Gentiles, the whole world. And just like we know in John 3, 16, that, that Jesus came to save the whole world. But we need to stop there for a minute, move to the next phase of our story, because what we see next from Simeon, after he gives this wonderful blessing about Jesus, he then turns to the mother and father, to Mary and Joseph. And here's, here's what it says. It says, the child's father and mother marveled at what Simeon had said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he says to Mary this, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Now it's curious when you read that, it says, well, that's, it says Simeon blessed them. Well, this is some blessing. It doesn't sound very positive as a blessing. Sounds more like bad news to me. But what Simeon says is, after he says, this child will be the salvation and a light to the whole world, he says, but. This child is no ordinary child. This child has a destiny. And this destiny includes some difficulties. So he foreshadows the life and the death of Jesus when Simeon says this to Mary and Joseph. He says, for, the, for, the, for all people, but for the, it will cause the fall and rising of many. A sign that will be spoken against. Jesus will be spoken against. He will cause some people to fall, some people to rise. See, Jesus was a very polarizing figure. We know that. Some people welcomed him. Some people rejected him. It's the same thing today. Some people welcome him, accept him, and receive him as their savior. Other people want nothing to do with him, or they ignore him. They think he's irrelevant. Jesus is polarizing. It's impossible to be neutral with Jesus. You're either in one of two groups. There's no middle group. You're either people who accept him as Savior and then live eternally with Christ in heaven, or you reject him and you don't live eternally with Christ. Well, so here we have Simeon says God is for all people. He very quickly goes to say, no, there are two different types of people. Jesus offers salvation to everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but then whosoever believed. There's the, there's the but in there. So all peoples, but Simeon says this blessing really divides people into two groups, those who accept Jesus and those who do not. Now listen to this verse from 1 John. This is John, one of the disciples of Jesus. He writes this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son, Good news. Then, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So there are the haves and there are the have-nots. And which group might you be in this morning? Are you part of the haves? You have the Son of God in your life? You've accepted Jesus as your Savior? Or are you part of the have-nots? That you have not turned your life over to Jesus and followed Him. Eternal life, your life after the grave, stands in the balance. It determines where you will spend eternity after you die. That's what Simeon knew. That's why Simeon was ready to die. I can go home now. I've seen it. I've met, the Jesus, met Jesus, the Christ child. I'm ready to go. But then Simeon turns to Jesus' mother and says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. I wonder what Mary thought when she heard that. Uh, the cost to Mary... How much did Mary really know? You know, we, we, the one of the songs that's very, very popular at Christmas is the song, Mary, Did You Know? Um, I asked my adult education class, and all the ladies love that song because it's a mother's song. It's a mother's song. It appeals to the heart of mothers. 
So what did Mary really know when she's bringing that baby in to Simeon? How much did she know? We know that she knew her son was virgin birth and he was the Christ child, etc., because God had revealed that to her through an angel. But then she hears this, this sword will pierce your soul. The original word here is a large, broad sword, a symbol in the Bible of intense pain, of frightful and piercing anguish. That's what Mary hears from Simeon. After the good news, suddenly he makes this prophecy or blessing over Mary. So what did Mary know at this time, or did she leave confused, maybe scratching her head? 33 years later, when she saw her son tortured and beaten beyond recognition, did she remember what Simeon had said about a sword piercing her soul? Or 33 years later, when she saw her son nailed to a wooden cross with huge spikes, did she remember what Simeon said? Or 33 years later, when she saw the Roman soldier thrust a spear into the side of her dead son hanging on a cross, did Mary remember Simeon's prophecy that a sword will pierce her own soul? We don't know what Mary knew. Now, Simeon is one of my favorite characters of the Christmas story. We talk about the angels and the shepherds, but Simeon is one of my favorite characters because he was so enlightened. He knew so much about what was going on. I can't imagine anyone else knew what was going on other than Mary and Joseph, maybe the shepherds. He was the one of the few people that first Christmas that got it. And he got it in a big way. He understood this Jesus, this little baby, was more than just a little baby. He, would, he had a destiny, a destiny that involved a lot of cost to him and to Mary. He understood, Simeon understood the significance of what was in front of him in terms of the history of the world, in terms of God's plan for redemption, that this was innocent baby was God with us, the Emmanuel, that God had now broken into the world and the clock was now running toward the salvation of mankind and the, Jesus' victory over sin and victory over death. Yeah, what I find most remarkable about Simeon is that when he says, I'm ready to die, he says, let me depart in peace. Basically, okay, I'm ready to die, ready to go home. My life is complete. I've held a Messiah in my arms. Now let me go home. My bucket list, complete. You know, I had an episode uh, about a year ago. I had, uh, in, as a matter of fact, it was the day of my anniversary, I had a colonoscopy. Um, see, when, when you're not the regular pastor, you can say words like that up here. Um, and so the night before, when normally we would be going out to eat our anniversary, I was drinking the elixir of youth. Um, and so I had my colonoscopy, and the doctors set an appointment in late, mid to late February <clears throat> to come back in and go over the results. Fine. And Barbara and I went away, I think that weekend, for a trip. We were out of town. So like two or three days after this procedure, the doctor's office, the nurse calls and says, and we know you have an appointment in February, but we'd like to, the doctor would like to see you next week. Now, that, and they, we set a time for Barbara and I to come in, for me to come in. Now, that shook us to the core because suddenly something's wrong. 
okay? And of course, in my mind, if you've ever done this, it's what I call you catastrophize. You imagine the worst possible scenario that's going to happen. So when he says that, he wants to see you next week, okay, I've got cancer, I'm going to have to have treatment, I'm just going to be a long haul, I'm going to die, I'm going to have a funeral, let's pick out the songs for the funeral, where are they going to bury me, what kind of casket should I have me in? So we're essentially planning my illness to the grave. Um, and it turned out that we went in to see the doctor and a week later, Barb goes with me because she's just convinced I'm going to get this terrible news. We're, we're convinced I'm going to get this terrible news. And he tells us, well, there's just a few follow-up here. You need to change your medicine. I said, you mean I'm not dying? He says, no. I said, oh, I think I may even hug the guy, you know? <laughs> um, and, and so, but it, but it was a time for about a week or so that we were able to focus on death and talk about preparation for death. Talk about what if. And it, it's, it, during that time, it was not a very pleasant time, but it was, looking back on it, it was a good time. Am I ready to die? And of course, in culture, we talk about things like life insurance. That's talking about death. They call it life insurance. It really is death insurance. Um, we talk about estate planning, wills. We talk about getting everything in order. You know, you get your documents in one box. Dave Ramsey calls it a legacy box, and you got all your documents so your, uh, your kids know where to look. So we prepare for death in a lot of ways. But I think so oftentimes we're more prepared for death in terms of worldly things and financial things than we are in spiritual things. So the question is, like Simeon, are you ready to die? The fear of death, advanced directives, you know, uh, whether you, whether you want to be a DNR or they want to pull the plug and things like that. But the ultimate question throughout history for everyone, every one of us is, what lies beyond the grave? When I die, what happens? So the lesson for us is, do you have, like Simeon, that sweet assurance of knowing that if and when your time comes, whether it's today this afternoon perhaps, or whether it's in 40 years, that you will live with Christ forever in heaven because you know, you've met, like Simeon, the Prince of Peace. Simeon knew he could now face death. Death had no fear. Death had no hold on him because he had met Jesus. He had that confident assurance. Now, when I was in law school, I was part of a church, and every Tuesday night... A small group of us, about three or four adults, would go on a, on a calling program. We would get the cards that people would turn in on a Sunday morning, and we would go, go to visit people who had visited the church. And we would ask them questions. Uh, and we would ask them two questions. Here's, here's the two questions. Number one, have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you, were die, if you were to die today, you would go to heaven. Now, that'll spark some questions. That'll spark some conversation. And then we would follow it up with this second question. Suppose that you were to die tonight, and you were to stand before God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? So we'd ask these two questions of people just to get talking about spiritual things, to get talking about life after the grave, about death. But that also is the question for each one of us. Have you come 
to a place in your spiritual life. Not your financial life, it's your spiritual life where you know for certain you got a lockdown that if you were to die, you would go to heaven. That's the question for all. Are you prepared to die? Is all well with your relationship with God? One of, one of my favorite Christmas songs is by Carrie Underwood and I think Michael W. Smith. It's called All Is Well. And it's a very relaxing song. And we sing, outside Christmas time, we sing, It Is Well With My Soul. That's a very common song. So is it well with your soul right now as you live? Do you have assurance of salvation? I have that assurance of salvation. 1 John 5, we only read part of that verse last time. Here's the rest of it. We'll read the whole thing again. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Then he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Though it's that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope that you'll have eternal life or wish that you had eternal life. John says you can know that you have eternal life. You can have confident assurance that if you die, you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now, I accepted Jesus into my heart and began to follow him as my Savior and Lord in the spring of 1972. No, that's more than 50 years ago. And I can calmly say that I have that assurance in my heart that if I die this afternoon or next week or sometime in the future, that I will go to live with Christ for eternity. And when I had that experience with the doctor a year ago, it wasn't that I was worried about my salvation. I never for once had a doubt about my salvation. I worry more about my family and kids and things like that. But I never once doubted that when I die, whenever that is, I will live forever with Jesus. You know, interestingly, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in the book of Job. And if you remember Job was a guy that had all kinds of calamity in his life. And he had his friends were questioning with him, what's God doing, what's God doing, what are you doing, Job? And Job had a a quiet confidence and assurance, like I have, like we all can have, that if you die, you will live forever with God. This is what Job says, a great verse out of the book of Job. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And then he says this, And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. It's a great verse. Job had that confidence, like Simeon had that confidence, that when he dies, he will see God. He will be with God forever. So, I wonder whether you also have this peace with God. Are you like Simeon, that you're unafraid of death? Because you know and understand that the baby Jesus was the same Jesus who died and conquered death. And we don't need to be afraid of death. He defeated sin and death when he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday morning. And you have that assurance of salvation like Simeon had. Simeon had that clear assurance. You can have that clear assurance. In John chapter 5, it says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He will not be condemned. He is crossed over from death to life. For anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And if you're saved, you can have that assurance 
the calm assurance that Simeon had, I'm ready to go. I've met Jesus, and I'm fine with death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Simeon, this unusual character that you included in the Bible. We thank you for his example of his faithfulness over the days and perhaps months or maybe years. And I pray for anyone today who is not sure that they're saved. Anyone who is unsure of their salvation, of their standing with God. And for that person that is troubled with the question that I ask so many people, have you come to a place in your spiritual life where you know for certain that if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven? That they would be able to affirmatively and vigorously say, yes, I know that. Thank you for the promise of assurance of salvation. And God, if there's anyone here that has not put their faith in Jesus and followed him and trusted him as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would do that and lock down that salvation, that they know that when death comes, whether it's sooner or later, that they will live forever with you. In Jesus' name, amen.